Amen. Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Let's give God a hand clap of praise if y'all don't mind. What a wonderful God we serve. It's such a privilege and an honor to be here with you guys on the night. And I believe that no real revival can happen unless we start with prayer. I'm asking you guys that as you've been prepping your heart for this moment, that you would join me in going to God in prayer um, before I speak. Let us pray. God, we thank you just for being our God and King. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Lord, if it had not been for you, we would not have this moment, but because of you, we get the privilege to worship. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus, um, who gave his life for us, God, so that we might, God, live and have a better relationship with you. And now I pray, God, that as we prepare for this moment of preaching, God, that you would revive us, that you restore our spirits, O God. Draw us closer to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, join me in thanking God for my friend, Pastor Matt Alexander. You guys have a wonderful pastor. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for him. And then I would be remiss if I didn't thank God for one of my heroes. Um, and I know uh, that seldom, you know, they say that you give people their flowers while they live. And so that's one who's been a near friend of mine and a brother of mine and um, who's poured into me, who's mentored me, uh, who has allowed me to come work and be here with you guys here at the EBA. And so I want to thank God for none other than my friend, my mentor, Dr. Craig Carlisle. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for him. And, um, and then to my House of Hope family, amen, who drove up here from Huntsville to come support that pastor. Amen. And uh, let's give God. Yes, sir. And so it's always good to have good support. Um, a lot of times you can have great vision, but when you have people who support that vision, it makes all of the difference. I am hippopotamus happy, peacock proud, and elephant elated. Amen. To be here with you guys on the night. And so I want you guys to do something for me real fast before I get ready to preach. If y'all don't mind, if you can, I want everybody to just scoop to the front of your, scoop to the edge of your seat. Just scoot to the edge of your seat. Scoot to the edge of your seat. All right, everybody, scoot to the edge of your seat. All right, and I think y'all, y'all can scoot back. All right, y'all can scoot back. All right, and so I did that because I wanted to make sure that when somebody asks y'all when y'all leave here, how was the preacher? You can say he had us at the edge of our seat. All right. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse number one. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. You know, one of the things I think that happens in a lot of families is that I grew up, you know, being the spoon liquor. And what that means is, is whenever my aunt would bake something, a cake or something of that nature, you know, we had the privilege of licking the icing off the spoon. Um, it's intriguing because my aunt, who's passed now, she died some years ago from aneurysm. You know, as a, a grown man now, I still remember the memories of being able to watch her bake a cake, to bake a masterpiece. As I share with our church sometimes, one of the tragedies that happens in a lot of churches in, in a lot of our lives is that whenever a cornerstone such as my aunt dies and transitions from this side of the earth. They often take with them the recipe. Um, often nobody is poured into in order to regain or recapture those moments 
that the ingredients that were necessary in order to bake that cake and so many of us we try to recreate it but we often fail at it and so some of us burn up about seven pies and about ten cakes trying to recreate that recipe when really what should happen is is if somebody would just slow down long enough to take time to listen and learn and to pour into others the ingredients for the recipe our churches will be able to survive for long term I, I want to suggest to you tonight that the Lord has given us the recipe book. He's given us his word tonight. And I pray that for the next few minutes that you guys would lean in and go with me as we consider the recipe for revival. Romans chapter number 12, verse 1. And it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's, of the mercies of God. And I'm reading from the CSB translation. I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. It was Andrew G. who says that God's time for revival is the very darkest hour that when everything else seems hopeless that these are the moments when God will show up in some of the worst cases and bring about revival. Uh, one of my preaching heroes, um, a Adrian Rogers, said these words. He says that if you study the history of revival, here's what you will discover. That God has always sent revival in some of the most darkest times. And I think that we all will agree that right now, as you look at the landscape, these are some dark days. When you consider what's going on, conversations about COVID, closed churches, confused citizens, and crises and calamity, these are some dark days. When you consider what's happening socially, economically, politically, spiritually, these are some dark days. And as I think about that, I stood this morning and prayed about this because I have hope and you should too. Because the God that we serve does some of his best work in dark moments. Do y'all believe that? I, I am convinced that now, no matter how dark the times are, these conditions are a prime candidate for a revival from God as only he can do. And so as we look at the words of the Apostle Paul, I want to encourage you guys on tonight. Because as we look at these particular words, Paul writes to this church. In fact, some suggest that Romans is the constitution of the church. That the major theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. When you think about it, it was pretty bleak because all of us, in essence, according to scripture, had missed the mark. In fact, Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every one of us missed the mark. That's a pretty dark situation. That all of us, by virtue of the fact that we missed the mark, deserve to not make it into heaven. But yet, it says that we were justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed and God presented him 
to demonstrate his righteousness at that present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That means we've been justified just as if we had not sinned. This is the God we serve who redeems us back to himself. Will somebody say amen? And so he gives us tonight, Pastor Matt, what I'd like to give to you guys, this recipe for revival. Y'all going to like it. I, I, saddle in your seat because it's going to get pretty good. I, 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 I want you to go ahead now, get your pen, get your pad, because we're going to take three points that I believe that we need if the church is going to see real revival. Are y'all ready? I, I, I believe that if we're going to see real revival, the first thing that we need to give to God, you and me, we must give him, number one, a pleasing presentation. Somebody say pleasing presentation. It's right there in the text. He said, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, that when you look back over chapters 1 through 11, he talks about how God blessed us through this whole thing called justification, salvation, redemption, how he purchased us by his own blood. When you consider the mercies of God, mercies is when God keeps from us what we really deserve. That while we deserve death, God gave us life. He says, when you consider the mercies of God, I urge you to give God a pleasing presentation. That means present your bodies a living sacrifice. Somebody say living sacrifice. Now here's what that means. You guys ever heard the story of the chicken and the pig that was walking down the street one day and, and they noticed over on the church sign that there was a sign that simply says, that asked the question, what can you do to help the poor? And so as they're walking down the street, the chicken comes up with the ingenious idea, leans over to the pig and says, I got it. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give them eggs and bacon. I knew y'all would get it. And, 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 and so at that moment, the pig thought about that thing for a minute. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, you said we're going to give them eggs and bacon? Chicken said, yes, yes, that's what I said. And so the pig said, the pig said well, for you, it's just a contribution. But for me, it's a total sacrifice. And I believe that we live in a day where most of us want to just give God a contribution and not a total sacrifice. But what he's saying in this text is that we must surrender all to him. We must give him every part of us. And so in other words, we can't play the hokey pokey with God. We can't put our left foot in and take our left foot out. We can't put our right foot in and take our right foot out. We must put our whole self in. Are y'all hearing me here? He says we must give him a pleasing presentation. Are y'all with me? And so I believe that what we've done is he says that as you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. In other words, God wants true worship. He wants something that he can feel. And I'm convinced that in the 21st century, here's what we've done. We have often given God something that he did not ask for. Here's what we've done. We have brought in lights, but we often lack the Lord. We have nice floors, but not great faith. We have lots of money, 
but we often miss the master. We have large cathedrals that are often void of Christ. He says, what I want is true worship. And here's what it is. Worship is a lifestyle that I've learned that worship is more than just a song. It's more than just the closing of our eyes and the lifting of our hands and getting goosebumps. Worship is what we say. It's how we live. It's how we love our neighbor. It's how we treat other people. Worship is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Are y'all hear me here? Can somebody say amen? And so there's this show that used to be called Extreme Home Makeover. Y'all know it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And in this particular show, what would happen is those contestants who were selected would allow the builders to come in, give them rights to come into the house and tear down walls, um, to pull up floors, to take down, pull up old carpet, um, to take down old chandeliers, all for the purpose of creating a perfect masterpiece. And so what God is saying to us is that in our lives and in our churches, what he's asking for is free reign to come in and if necessary, in, in our lives, to tear down walls, to pull up floors, to change our behavior, to change our hearts, and to do a work in us that only he can do. Somebody say a pleasing presentation. That's number one. But after we have a pleasing presentation, that then must be an inward transformation. He said, do not be conformed. In other words, don't be shaped and molded by the world, by the spirit of the age. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Well, that word transform in the Greek is a word called metamorpho. It's what we get the English word metamorphosis. In other words, true transformation must take place. And this transformation happens from the inside out. Do y'all see that? That in order for us to be transformed in what we do, God must, must first transform us in how we think. Because how we think affects how we live. That what you believe affects the way you behave. Are y'all hearing me here? And that true revival, hear me class, must start not just in us getting a whole lot of head knowledge. But true revival must begin in us having real heart change. Because here's what I'm convinced of. We've done well in getting a whole bunch of knowledge. In fact, many of us, if we're not careful, we'll have more degrees than a thermometer. We understand how to exegete homiletics, hermeneutics. We got it. We know it from Genesis to Revelation. But it becomes a matter of just good information. When good information then becomes heart transformation, that's when we can begin to see real change. That when what's in our head begin to affect what happens from our heart, that when we love and we care and we love and we get back to a place where we love God the way that we used to. Church, can I tell y'all something? I can remember in my own life some years ago, 
um, must have been around 20, 21, uh, 21 years old. I remember, you know, God had me in this place of a consecration. And I, I, I never forget it. You don't forget moments like this. And, and, and I remember I was so hungry for the word. I can remember praying. I would get home sometimes after I got off work, cut my radio on and listen um, to, the, to the music, to gospel. I, I would then turn around and pray and I would fast. Sometimes I had to because I didn't have a whole lot of money. So my snack at night was potato chips. So y'all hear me here. But I can remember this. I remember the Pope had died. Johnny Cochran had died. And I didn't even know it. Because for two years, it was me and God. Much of my scripture memorization didn't happen when I got in seminary. Much of my scripture memorization happened from that period in my life when I was hungry and thirsty for God. When I cried out to him. And, and like um, Jamie Dew said, President Jamie Dew, New Orleans, he says that um, he can remember crying out to God and he had lost that hunger. I can remember that because see, sometimes what happens, we get so busy that we forget that busyness doesn't equate to worship. That sometimes we can be so busy that we take God out of the equation. And so there's a song by Matt Redman who talks about this. He says it's called A Heart of Worship. He says, and he says these words, and y'all know it, I'm coming back to a heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. That hit home for me. Because as many of us are busy and doing stuff for God, it's possible to be working for him but not worshiping him. Are y'all hearing me here? And so we can be so busy running and doing things, but yet there's no real connection with him. And I believe that if true revival is going to happen, we got to get back to doing things for him, working for him. That much of what we do flows through our being with him. That's what Peace Gazzaro said. And so, Lord, help us to get back to him. Are y'all hearing me? It's number two, and then with transformation. But I'm getting ready to land the plane. I told y'all I wouldn't be long. Number one, pleasing presentation number two an inward transformation but then thirdly and finally we must go be an outward demonstration y'all ready for this it said that you may prove what is the good perfect and acceptable will of god well that word prove class is a word uh, in the greek called dokimazo it means that we become the evidence that god is who he says he is. that means that 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 something has taken place on the inside of us that is the way that we live it's the way that we move. He tells us to go be a demonstration. Somebody say demonstration. Now here's what that means. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and they give a light unto all that are in the house. Here's what he says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Somebody say, let it shine. Everybody didn't talk. Can everybody say that with me? Say, let it shine. Let your light shine. And so, listen, class, um, that, there's a story of this husband or this wife, and she had been trying to get her husband to come to church, but he wouldn't come. She tried everything. She went to a small group and said, y'all pray with me. I'm trying to get my husband to come to church, but he won't come. 
She went to a couple more people and said, well, y'all fast and pray with me. I'm trying to get my husband to come to church, but he wouldn't come. And one day the church caught on fire. The whole community comes running to try to put the fire out. And behold, what do you notice? Down on the corner, out there with a five-gallon bucket trying to put the fire out was this woman's husband. Indignant, the members stumped down, righteous indignation they felt to get on to him and scold him because why would you come tonight, the day out of all times to try to help us when the church is on fire? And the man looks up in a very subtle way and says, well, this is the first time the church has ever been on fire. Y'all catch that? And so it's Leonard Ravenhill who says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know about it because they know how to spot a fire from anywhere. Are y'all hearing me here? So one of my prayers of the night is that God set us on fire and let us burn. Burn until we preach not our message, but the message of the cross. Burn. Burn until there's a hunger, not for motivational speaking, but for the word of God. Burn. That in a world full of darkness and bad news, we might share the good news of a dead, buried, and resurrected Savior. Burn until people in the communities would come running, asking like the jailer in Acts 16, crying, what must I do to be saved? Burn until all are declaring that one Friday he died, but early Sunday morning he got up again with all power in his hand. Somebody say burn. Set us on fire so that we might get hungry again. And love God in such a way like we never loved him before. Burn. So that when preachers preach, people won't come saying what a great preacher. They'll leave there saying what a great gospel. Burn. So that people will know that there's a savior in the world today. And his name is not Leatherwood. His name is not Alexander. His name is not Robinson. But his name is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. He's Mary's baby. Somebody say Jesus. No matter how you say it, that name is powerful. It's Jesus in English. Jesus in Spanish. Ishua in Aramaic. Are y'all hearing me here? Jesus in Brazil. Jesus in Chinese. No matter how you swing it, that name is powerful. And that's why Paul says that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Are y'all hearing me here? Do y'all know Jesus? Give him praise if you know him then. Put those hands together. That's my prayer. That we will fall in love with him. That if we want to see real revival, it's going to start in our hearts. Prayer, no matter how many programs we do, no matter how nice they are. We can do it, no matter how much information we get, I'm closing. You have a whole lot of information, but no heart change. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Pastor to come down front. And as I pray, you'll get the chance to respond to the invitation.
I believe that if there's somebody here tonight and you're saying that I don't know the Lord and the pardon of my sin, well, tonight I want to give you the opportunity to receive him. Uh, the name that saves is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so tonight, let me pray with you that as you are praying to make a decision, maybe tonight you're saying that I just need to get closer with God again. I need to get back to a place where I were with him to spend time with him like I did before. Let us pray.